I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. We're taking the last part of that um, chapter today. We looked at the first part of the chapter last week. We'll start reading. We'll begin reading in verse 14. Genesis chapter 13, verse, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all of the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, where, which, were, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for just the, the being able to expound on this word, open this word, read it, expound on it, think it through, and then apply it to our hearts. I pray that I would be clear today. Uh, as your word is, is clear, Lord, help us to understand Um, Give us insight. Lord, we love your word. It is a precious book. May we elevate it in our sight today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And we've we've seen that. We want to keep coming back to that theme. It's the book of beginnings. Because for us, looking back, it formulates for us a worldview. It starts by faith, but that worldview, as we compile these things, um, it becomes for us a confidence for life. That's what a worldview is. It just is, it, it makes sense and it, and it pulls together in our minds and produces a confidence for life. And that's what I want us to see today. We, we've seen that God created out of nothing, ex nihilo. We've seen the origin of man, male and female. That, that applies to us today. We understand that God created. That we begin to see that we saw the beginning of work. That man is responsible. Man has dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and, the, and the, every living creature on this earth. And we are accountable to God. We are responsible to God. There is work. We saw the establishment of marriage, of husband and wife. We see the, the first sin and the step devastation of that sin. That Satan comes and he steals away that, um, that dominion that man had over the earth. And we saw the first punishment of that sin as well, didn't we? That, that Adam was and Eve both, they were punished in their area of focus, Adam was punished. He has to now work by the sweat of his brow. Eve, her desire is to, to build a family, and she has to do so with, with pain and childbirth and submitting to a, a, a sinful husband. We also saw the first promise that God made. 
that it's not always going to be like this, that the fact that um, sin will someday be crushed, as God said, Satan would, or that uh, the, this Messiah to come, this seed to come will crush Satan's head. We saw the beginning of family, that children were born to Adam and Eve. And we saw how that sinful, or that sin nature was passed from one generation to the next generation. We see sibling rivalries, death as a result of that. And we saw the condition as we see it today, the condition of the earth. And it's, you can see the evidence of a flood. We see the, the origin of the different languages and how the languages have spread all throughout the earth. In the past few weeks, we've been looking at the call of Abraham and the establishment of Abraham as a, as almost as an entity. And you, you have to raise the question of why. So why so much attention on Abram? And if you go back, just to remind you in chapter 12, verse 1, that the Lord said to Abram, and that's the first condition of the clause, this is to Abram only, Abraham his name is changed to, that he would be given land, that's the second element, that he was going to be made a great nation, that he was going to make him a great name, have a, a name that is great, and then he was going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so we saw this is, this is God just choosing this man, saying, I'm going to bless you. And as a result of my blessing to you, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. That's what we've been seeing. And so what you see really is, is a birthing process here, the birth of a, a nation starting out with one man. Now what you also see in this, this particular passage is the, um, that God is, is reaffirming that commitment. Reaffirming that commitment that he made to Abraham even before he left the Earl of the Chaldees. He is reaffirming this, this promise, and he's giving over this land now to Abram. And it's like he's handing the deed to deed of the land to Abram. He's, he's telling Abram, Abram, get up, look up your look up uh, at the land. Um, uh, look out there, the north, south, east, and west. Look as far as you want. And this land is yours. He says, get up and walk. And, and walk the, the length of the land, the breadth of the land. It's, it's all yours. Now, when, when, you get, when you buy a new house, you, all the papers are signed. You go into the house or you look to the property and you, you, you look at every room. There's an excitement that's there that's, that, you, uh, that you're getting ready to move into. I know uh, my first home when we were young, moving into this new home. I was only three, but I remember the excitement of moving into this new, new home for us. But I think one of the other key elements to this passage is the one word that you see at the bottom of verse 15, and that's his descendants forever. And I want to focus on that today. His descendants for forever. Now, Abram is, uh, being, is being given this land, and Abram's about in the middle of this land. It's about 19 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Elevation of about 3,000 feet. And this was in, uh, this would be in, in Hebron. There would be in the, the high place of Hebron, and then you would have the Hebron Valley there. This is during the Bronze Age, or the, the Middle Bronze Age, is when this would have been. They found a cuneiform uh, tablet that talks about 
that Hebron here would have been the capital city of the Canaanite king kingdom, if you will. And so during this time, it would have been a, a pretty substantial uh, or a major settlement. And what they found there is about six to eight acres of, of land that had at one point was fortified, large built public buildings on it. And Abraham is close to this place. And what you, you see, Abraham's uh, walking this land and he goes now to the south of this land and um, he's offering uh, or he builds an altar to the Lord as though he is dedicating this land now to God. He's receiving this land from God and he's dedicating this land back to God. This is a this is an exercise of faith on Abraham's part, Abraham's part. Exercising faith. Now, when we read the text here, though, you get the sense. Now, you just have to bear with me. You get the sense that God is a little bit more excited about this than Abraham is. And it's not, I don't think it's just a lack of expression on Abraham's part. I just think he doesn't quite get it. I don't think he quite understands. Okay, God, you're saying I'm going to have a great name and there's going to be this great nation. But Abraham doesn't even have a son at this point. And Abraham's having to exercise some some great faith. This is a real stretch. But I think that's exactly what God wants. And we have to stop and and look at this and and think through the weightiness. Because I don't think that Abraham got it. I'm not sure that we get it yet. And God is pushing Abraham to to be more secure. Walk the land. Look at the land. see See what I'm giving to you. See the significance of this. And you just get the sense that he doesn't have that. And there's a principle here. I I think faith just has to grow. I think faith has to grow to confidence. And and that's where we want to be. And, And I think Abraham is a good example of this. And God is pushing Abraham to be more secure in in the fact that God has promised this land to him. Explore this land. This is your land. Get out there. Own this land. And grow in your faith that this is your land. That I'm going to do these things for you. You're going to have descendants. This is going to be a great nation. Might be a stretch right now. And Abraham's faith had to grow. Now Moses is communicating these things to the, to the um, children of Israel. They're in the plains of Moab. Getting ready to to retake this land, right? This is 700 years after Abraham had had lived. The children of Israel needed the same thing, didn't they? There's an exercise of faith on their part, but not just faith, but confidence. Confidence that this is our land. God gave this land to Abram, our forefathers, and we are now going in with confidence. Boy, you heard that, didn't you? Going in with confidence... To take this land. And, and Israel is going to have to fight. They're going to have to have that faith. That strong faith. That turns into to a, a confidence. And that's what's. I believe that's what's going on. Abraham is lifted up in scripture. As an example of our faith. We see that throughout the New Testament. But even, even in the Old Testament. But throughout the New Testament. We see Abraham is the father of our faith. We've been looking at that in the past few weeks. Now, whether we realize it or not, we um, 
We emulate people. We kind of elevate them. We think, oh man, he, I want to be like that. And we begin to, to follow people. Especially when we're young, people begin to influence us and and we begin to follow. But most of the time, if you just think about this, most of the time, those examples, those models that we set, they're more uh, based upon fleshly desires. It's more based upon, oh, that guy's cool, I want to be cool like that guy. That's Most of the time it's that way. I, I, that's a... He's a really good athlete. I want to be like him. Or he's real macho. Or he's real successful. Or he's real smart. Usually based upon just fleshly things. Things that aren't going to last at all. And we elevate those people in our minds. And we kind of even push ourselves to be like that. Oh, he's real tough. He's not going to let anybody push him around. And, and we, we become like that and we, be, we take on those same type of attitude as the people that we have chosen as we choose to follow. And you know, let's take, for example, I mean, you, you, you know, a good public speaker or these maybe celebrity pastors. They're, celebrity pastors, what they're trying to do is, is combine coolness and godliness. So they're trying to just, they're trying to attract you to, to, uh, so that you will emulate them, but they're trying to, to do it with godliness. Now, I'm not sure how you do that. I think we have to be very, very careful who we emulate. As Christians especially, we have to choose who we're going to emulate. Who's going to be our example? And we look at their life first before we get close to anyone. And we are disciples of Christ ultimately, and we have to, we have to follow him first and foremost, obviously. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us this warning in verse 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Just be careful, folks. The, the people you associate with, the people you elevate, the people you're, uh, you, you uh, want to be like, you will probably be like them. And you have to be very careful there. Solomon says that don't even associate with an angry man or you'll learn to be angry. Don't associate with even a stingy man or you'll learn his ways, Solomon said. Because there's a value system. When we elevate somebody and they're our example, there's a whole value system that, we're, that we buy into. We elevate that person. In Scripture, we are told to elevate faith. That is what's the most important. Not coolness, not success, but, but faith. And that's what we want to emulate with Abram. And we've seen that. Faith, faith. Elevating faith. Someone's commitment to God. Loyalty to God. Their affections and their love for God. We, we, we elevate those people. Do they love God? Do they love God's church? Do they love God's word? Do they love God's standard of righteousness? Do we pursue that? That's, that's who we emulate. Now, what we've seen uh, is that then faith in and of itself is not just a one-time thing. This is the principle. Faith is not just a one-time thing, but is a consistent part of the Christian life. We need to let that sink in. 
Not a one-time thing, but a consistent part of the Christian life. I like what uh, J.C. Ryle said. We become Christians by faith in Jesus. We stay Christians by faith in Jesus. We grow as Christians by faith in Jesus. It's a constant part of the Christian life. It's an act of faith. Every day we get up and we rely upon the principles of this word. Now, Abraham is a good example of this faith. God is pushing Abraham, I believe, to... To start it out with faith, trusting him, but, but letting that faith grow into strong confidence. Strong confidence. And I believe that's what we need to do today. That's where Abraham, he is, he is moving that direction. He still has to grow, but he's moving that direction. Now, what I want us to see, I want us to stop at this point, at this point, and, and I want us to see what Abraham maybe failed to see. I want us to see what, what, uh, what, what the potential is here. So I want us to look at Israel, the significance of Israel, the past, present, and future of Israel, because it, it ties to the very promise of God. Our faith is in God and His promises in His Word, and that faith needs to grow. And so, number one, I want us to look at the, uh, the past Israel's past. Israel's past. Now, this is just going to be review for most of you, but I want to lay this out a little bit. The birth of Israel. We've, we've kind of been looking at that. Israel became a nation. It stems from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They were the forefathers. Uh, Jacob, of course, was in the land, and he left the land because of a drought. And uh, he sent his sons down to Egypt and ultimately he went down himself. But what they found is that uh, God had prepared a way for them. They, God had prepared that land for them because of Joseph. And you know the story of, of Joseph. They had sold him into slavery earlier. He goes down. The Lord gives him success. He's the second man in Israel. So 70 people from Jacob's family go down to Egypt. They, they live in Egypt, and of course, after Joseph's death, they quickly become slaves to the Egyptian people. But God blesses even in that situation. And for 400 years, they're, they're in slaves, but they continue to grow as, as though they were in a, a hot house or a, a, a little nursery here, like a, an incubator. And in the incubator of Egypt, God produces, he gives birth to a nation, over two million people. And so, it's a humble beginnings, but it's a, it becomes the Jewish nation. And this would have been about 1445 BC. Now, God used Moses to lead that nation out of Egypt, and, uh, of course, in dramatic fashion with plagues and the killing of the firstborn, the, the separating of the, the waters, the sea, the Red Sea, so that they parted on dry land. But they didn't enter, the, enter into the land of Canaan. They didn't reclaim this land right away, did they? No. Forty years they had to wander in the wilderness because of unbelief. Finally, they conquered the land in 1405 B.C. You say, well, what's the purpose of Israel? What's the point? Why? Why is there? Why all of this focus on a, on a nation? Why? Because out of that nation, if you remember, they're going to be a blessing. Now, the first blessing we know uh, out of this nation is, is the Messiah. And we look back and we 
know that that was Christ. He was the one that was promised in Genesis chapter 15, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to 16. He was the seed that's going to crush Satan's head. But also, Israel was not only going to produce a, the blessing of the Messiah, but also they were to be servant leaders, essentially examples to the rest of the nation. And it was a passage that was read for us earlier. But I want us to look at a couple of verses here. And I, I think I have the verses on the screen. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was to point people to God. They were representing God here on this earth. They were pointing people to God. That was one of their, one of their purposes. A priestly role, if you will. Then you see an advisory role. If you look over Deuteronomy chapter 4, the passage that was read for us earlier, we'll just read a couple of verses there. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them for... That is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people. That's the nations and who will hear all of these statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding. It's going to point to God. They were in an advisory role in verse seven says, and surely this great nation uh, is their God is is near to them. And they will call upon him. They were to be an example of all the, the to all of the other nations. And as I said earlier, and you can see this in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6. But as God blessed that nation, they were to spill. That blessing was to spill over. And they were to be an example of servant leadership as the Messiah was leading them. That was what was expected. You say, well, well, did they accomplish that? You have to be asking that question. Did they ever accomplish that? Well, the, the land was conquered in uh, Joshua's day. Most of the land, not all of it. Um, David, uh, in the second king of Israel, in David's day, th- this was the, the glory days, David began to accumulate uh, materials for a temple. And in Solomon's day, seemed to be the peak, and Solomon was able to build the temple, wasn't he? And it was a, a time of, of glory, the glory days of Israel. So much so that other nations, the leaders of other nations would come and ask them, where did you get this wisdom? Just exactly was predicted. And so you, you see, they're on the brink of, of fulfilling these things, but not quite. The the land is there. The people is there. But just not quite. Of course, David sinned. You know the sins of of David. Solomon sinned. Became idolatrous in his own heart. The the women uh, led, turned his heart away from the Lord. He began to worship other idols or allow other idols to be worshipped in his kingdom. The peoples of the the nation uh, began to worship other idols. Then, of course, by the next generation after Solomon dies, that Israel was divided, north and south. You know the the story. They were carted away for 70 years. They were gone away in captivity. Um, Then some of the Jews came back. 
but not to the glory, not to those glory days. So they failed. They didn't accomplish what, what they were supposed to do. Another thing is that when, when Christ came, when, when the Messiah actually came, and, and I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 4, when the Messiah finally came, uh, chapter 4 and verse 17, I believe that's on the, the screen as well, Matthew chapter 4, we see that it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, this is the beginning of his ministry, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is offering himself as the king. He is offering him his kingdom then to, to Israel. By the time you get to chapter 11 in uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20, he begins to, uh, then he began to denounce the cities in which he, most of his miracles had been done because they did not repent. All of the miracles, all of the teaching that Jesus did, they didn't, didn't accept it. That was the people. In chapter 12, verse 24, you see that then the, the Pharisees heard this. They said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub. Now, he's, he's demon-possessed. He's influenced by Satan. So ultimately, they rejected their Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. Of course, the, there, there was uh, destruction because of that and, and devastation and disbursement again because of that. Now, at this point, you have to be asking, at this point, you, you have to, in the back of your mind, this question just keeps pushing its way forward. Can God keep His promise? It's not, will God, but can He? Given the sinfulness of man, can God even keep, can God say, okay, forever, this land is going to be yours. Can God, can God do that? Is God powerful enough? Because sinful people just keep messing it up. They keep getting in the way. And you, you can't take a pig and turn him into a cat. It's just not going to happen. And as much as you root uh, Israel on and you want to see them succeed, they just fail time after time after time, even missing their own Messiah. They failed. They failed miserably. What has to happen, and God tells us this, and let me show you this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, because God goes to the very heart of the matter, because this is, all Israel is, it seems to be as an object lesson at first, in failure. And they, and He pushes this so that we would ask the question, what's gonna, what's it gonna take? What's it gonna take? And here it is. Ezekiel chapter 36, God's name is on the line here. Let's start to chapter 36, look at verse 22, at the end of verse 22. But for my holy name, which you have profaned against the nations where, where you were, I will vindicate my, the holiness of my name. In verse 24, he says, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. That's back to the land that we're talking about that God is giving to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bring you back. Then, notice verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and, I will, and you will be clean. 
and I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. That's on the outside. Your religion's going to be cleaned up. But he says, moreover. Now, I love that verse. I love that phrase. Moreover. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my Holy Spirit, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. That's what needs to happen, isn't it? Man cannot conform to God's standards. We just cannot do that. And it seems like Israel is just a a perfect example, just trying and trying and trying. They just cannot do it. They need a heart change, a total transformation. Now, can God keep his promise? can Can God do that? Yes. Why? Because God can change a heart. God changes a heart. He can do that. He can take a pig and make it. He created the pig. And he can make a cat if he wants to do that. And folks, if we have a Christianity that just, you know, standards up here or this level of faith up here, and we're trying to conform to that, that's the wrong kind of Christianity. That's the kind of Christianity that the world is selling. That's not the right kind of Christianity. The Christianity we see in Scripture is a heart change. God takes out that stony heart and He puts in a new heart, new desires. It's a new person there. Christ said it, being born again, that's what He he equated it to. New desires, new affections, a whole new inside. That's what it's going to take. So so the the principle is, let me just lay out the principle for True faith in God must come from a renewed heart. True faith in God must come from a new heart. God, what did he say in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8? By grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself. He gives us that faith. He he puts that into us with that new heart, that new faith. And so that true faith... In God must come from a renewed heart. Let's go to Israel today. Israel today. Christ said this in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I want you to see this this one verse. Here's what Christ said about Israel today. Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. Christ said this. He says, they will not... Well, let me begin at the beginning of the verse. And they will level you at the ground and will and your children within you, and they will not leave you leave one stone unturned upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Because you rejected me coming, Christ coming, the Messiah, you rejected this time of that the Messiah was visiting you, you rejected him, no stone is going to be unturned. Unturned, overturned, um, left on top of each other. Chapter 21, verse 24, another verse. It says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword. This is Israel. And will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled under the foot, uh, foot by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Right now, today, Israel, we're still under this what Christ called the, the time of the Gentiles. The Gentiles still are dominating Israel. 
was at the time of Christ. They were even under Roman rule. Let me show you one other passage uh, just to remind you. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, this is another important chapter. In verse 25, he says, But I do not want you, brethren, to be unaware of the mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Don't be like Israel. Don't get puffed up. Because we're, we're doing pretty good as a church. So don't get puffed up. He says, be, be careful. I want you to be aware of these things. Here's what, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. That's currently, right now. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. He recognizes. This is a, a time where Gentile dominance over, over the nation of Israel. Now, 1948, Israel become a, a nation. They're hated by most of the world or much of the world. They're supported by the United States. But they're now a nation, which is an amazing thing. Most of them, or some of them are Orthodox Jews. Most of them have, you know, continued to reject their Messiah. Most of them are very liberal, even uh, atheistic. But in this same passage, if you go back to Romans chapter 5, Paul sums it up. He says, in the same way then, there has come also come to come to be at the present time a remnant among God's chosen gracious uh, choice God's gracious choice a remnant there might be a small little element of believers in Israel just a small little remnant um, certainly not what we expected to see God's blessing on this nation and that blessings all flowing out they did produce the, the Messiah. They killed him, but they produced the Messiah. That's one thing that you can ex, that you that we've seen. But what about the other part? If God fulfilled his his promise on one part, he's going to fulfill his promise on the other part, right? That's where we are today. We have to trust in the Lord today. That's where we are. If he fulfilled it once, he's going to fulfill the other part of Israel's of Israel's history. I'll point this out to you in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? This is Israel. Not not completely fall. No, there's a remnant there. So it's not completely fallen. May it never be, Paul says. But by your by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. What's happening here? I'm going to take from the, the Gentiles. I'm going to take out the stony heart from the Gentiles. I'm going to put a, a heart of flesh in there. I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit, indwelling Holy Spirit. And Israel at some point is going to be jealous. So, so he's referring to a, a point in time of Israel's jealousy here. Now, if their transgression is riches to the world because they rejected their Messiah, God's opening it up to the church. If their rejection is to the world... Their failure to, uh, is riches for the Gentiles. How much more their fulfillment going to be? Someday their fulfillment is going to be great. It's going to be something to behold, Paul says. Now there's a principle here. We're going to wrap this up in just a second. God has promised to restore Israel at, at some point. During this time of the Gentiles, this is a time of faith for Israel. Of course, they're, they're rejecting that. But just like, just like 
Abraham, our faith, and Israel's faith, if they haven't at all, they could trust in the word of God. But here's a principle about faith, that faith grows and is nurtured by truth. It grows and it's nurtured by by truth. There's a, uh, uh, I I cut my mother-in-law's grass. And uh, she has this little, she started this little apple tree. At the beginning of the summer, it was a small little thing. And uh, just by, just me watching this, trying to cut around it and, and think, that thing is just growing and it's growing stronger. And it's because of sunlight and it's because of water. And that's what, that's what it does. Faith will do the same thing. But faith grows by truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says we are to speak truth one to another. In Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> let me remind you of this verse. Philippians chapter 4, just a very important verse for our own edification for our own spiritual growth. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, we're feeding our faith when we dwell on things that are true. With truth, faith grows. And whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. Now, we can, we can think and we can choose where to place our mind and what to, to dwell on. Paul is calling us to speak truth one to another. He's calling us to, to dwell on the truth. The lack of truth, folks, the, the further away you get from the truth, not watering that faith with truth, not uh, the sunlight of that truth, that faith is going to die. That faith is, is, gonna, is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to grow. It takes, it takes truth. It takes truth. And that's what I think is, is happening back in Genesis chapter 13. Because God keeps coming to Abram. And He keeps reminding Abram, Abram, I, I, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. And keeps speaking truth to Abraham. And Abram's faith is just continues to grow. And we'll, we'll continue to see that as we look at his life. It's the same way with our life, folks. If we want our faith to grow, it's going to have to be watered with the truth of God's Word. Let me give you one more, one more principle here. And that's the future. That's the future of Israel. What, what is God going to do? <clears throat> if you go back to the Genesis, or the Romans chapter 11, I want to lay this out for you. Verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be. God has not rejected them. For I too am an Israelite, descendant of Abram, or Abraham, of the tribe of, of Benjamin. So Paul is saying they have a future. In verse 26, you'll see that that future includes, and so all Israel will be saved in verse 26. If you go back to verse, seven, verse 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? What's the acceptance? Israel at some point is going to accept the fact that they rejected their Messiah. 
At some point, they're going to accept the fact. They're going to they're going to accept Christ. They're going to see that Christ was the Messiah. We see the same thing in verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches to the world. Their failure is riches to the Gentiles. How much more their fulfillment be? They're going to be fulfilled. There's going to be a future Israel. God is going to, at some point, usher them in. It's it's probably going to be in that seven-year period of time that Jeremiah calls Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, he calls that they they will be saved out of this distressful time of Jacob. I want to leave you with this one verse, though, in in Romans chapter 11. And that's in verse 29, 28 and 29. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for this sake. That's what Israel is today. From the standpoint of the gospel, they're not accepting the gospel today. But from the standpoint of God, God's chosen. They are the beloved for the sake of the Father. He's going to hold, hold His promise to Abraham. For the gift and the calling of God is irrevocable. Wow. You know, I wish, I wish Abraham could have read that. The gift and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable. You know what? That's the same principle, folks, with our life. God, if God has gotten his hand on you, he is not going to let go. He's not going to let go. And let me just one last verse. I'll leave you with this one verse. And this is Second Timothy. This is so good. Second Timothy, chapter one, and verse 12. I want you to see Paul's progression in faith. He says, for this reason, I also suffer. Paul, his faith is so strong that he is willing to suffer. He, he gets in there. He has such grit that he doesn't care what men does for him, to him. He's willing to suffer for these things. But I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. For I know. That's not, I have faith or I believe. No, I know whom I have believed. That's confidence. That is conviction. That's to the point that I will stand up against an army who I know will kill me. I know whom I have believed. Am I, and I'm convinced that He is able to guard that which I've entrusted to Him against that day. Folks, that's where our faith needs to be. It's not just iffy kind of faith. No, this is a confidence. A confidence against a world that's that continues to, to come against us. You know, at the beginning of the summer, I could have just cut that sapling down, the little apple tree, and now it's a force to be reckoned with. You, you can snap a little sapling in half, but, you, but it, it takes work to get down an oak tree. Fo- folks, our faith has to become a, cons- uh, um, a confidence, a resilience, Conviction in our own life. And it comes down to one thing. Do we trust God? That's what it comes down with Abraham in his day. Do I trust God? Even though I don't have a son, do I trust Him? We talk about a nation, descendants. I don't even see any of that. Do I trust Him? Do I have confidence? That's where we are, folks, in our Christian life. And we need to grow. We need to grow. Do we know whom we have believed you looked at the past, present, and future of Israel, you see devastation. But you can be rest assured that God's going to keep His promise. God's going to keep His promise. <clears throat> I'm reminded of 
what Paul says, he who began a good work in you will, will complete it. He is the Alpha and the Omega. What he starts, folks, he will, he will end. And when he ends, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new Jerusalem. And let me tell you, it's going to be a magnificent thing. A temple like you wouldn't believe. A, a, um, a Messiah to rule that. And the invisible God is going to be on full display for the whole world. Blessing Israel. And that blessing is going to flow over to all the other nations. God's going to fulfill his promise to Abraham. It looks pretty bleak right now. But Abraham's faith is going to grow. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I just thank you for your word. A small little passage. It seems like it, insignificant. But the reality is... is is, is your word. Your word is, it means something. It, it's, it's valuable. It, it's, every word is going to be accounted for. Every word is going to be fulfilled. Even the word forever. One little word. But Lord, we get, we get confidence from that. We look at our own faith, we look at our own life, and we, we just see failure after failure, and, and we think, oh Lord, change us. But Lord, also, we, we speak truth to ourselves, and we just keep coming back to Your Word, and, and feeding that faith, and, and that faith getting stronger and stronger. And Lord, I pray that You would produce oak trees at Daniel's Bible Church. Grow us. Give us confidence. Give us conviction to stand on the promises of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.